Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy last day of January of 2020, you guys. It's a new decade. We know that. I thought it'd be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago, how life has changed, what the year 2010 brought them, what the last decade has brought them, and what they hope for over the next 10 years. Today, I'm sitting down with one of Lindsay's friends. Lindsay works with me at All Things Happy Hour. And this friend of ours has had a radical journey in his faith over the last decade. James, as he'll be known for this interview, shares how his story began with being raised in a home with a Hindu father and a mom who was a part of the underground Christian church. This is the foundation for his faith story. And so many times throughout the last 10 years, there are moments that can only be categorized as many miracles. You guys will not believe this story. Here is my conversation with James about how his last decade has looked from unbelieving to giving his whole life to God's purposes. Okay, James, welcome to the special edition of The Happy Hour called Your Last Decade, where I bring people onto the show to talk about what has happened in the last 10 years of their life. And Lindsay, who works with me, who a lot of our listeners know, introduced me to you and she said, I have this friend who has this amazing story from the past 10 years. You're going to want to hear it. And she told me a little bit about it. And I am so excited to hear your story. So, James, take us all the way back to 2010, 10 years ago. And what did your life look like then as far as your faith and your education, your family? And then you're going to walk us through all of the things that have gone on in your life in just a short amount of time of 10 years. So take us back to 2010. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, in 2010, I was kind of um, not a believer in, in the Christian faith, but I was raised a, kind of an underground Christian in Houston, Texas. And to explain that real quick, my mom grew up Christian and my dad Hindu in India. They met through arranged marriage. My dad was in grad school in the U.S. and he actually flew back in the middle of finals to marry my mom. It's the first time they met and my mom had agreed to become Hindu as part of the wedding. She had grown up with a Christian background, but I don't think she was a believer. But when she moved to the U.S., she became a believer and my dad was pretty hostile towards that. So she kept her faith a secret. Um, she had, you know, Bibles um, hidden in the attic upstairs in her house. She was not able to go to church, not allowed to go to church, not allowed to go to prayer meetings and things like that. And so she basically lived her faith on her own, um, tried to keep it a secret for until my brother, my elder brother and I were in middle school. And that's when she shared the gospel with us in secret and told us not to tell our father because um, the risks that were involved, um, my dad was pretty hostile. So wow, um, my brother believed uh, first and I was kind of like, you know, it was fun to play the secret agent games. Like, I won't tell my dad that, but that's cool. I I was raised Hindu by my dad, and um, I didn't really go for Hinduism. I thought religion was like kind of a crux for weak people, and so that was just me being in middle school, um, conceited and stuff. Was that the first time you heard the gospel? Was from your mom? 
Yes, the first time I heard the gospel was from my mom. I remember okay. the room that we were at at our house when my mom sat in my... You and my sister was uh, six years younger, so she was a baby then. And my mom couldn't have her in the room while she shared with us because she might pick up some words and say something on accident. Wow. What a lot of like... I mean, I'm, I'm thinking as a mom... My mom has some amazing faith. Yes, yeah. what amazing faith. And to think like she wanted you, her children, to know this faith as well, even in the hostile environment that you guys were living in. Right. Yes. And that was a big part of it. Uh, my mom's mom, my grandmother, on her deathbed, I think her last words were me and my brother's names. And my mom had initially thought it was because, uh, oh, she missed us or something, but she realized it was that we hadn't heard the gospel yet. Mm. And so it became really important to my mom that we know and we're raised in the faith. So she, she is the reason me and my brother and my sister now are everything that we are today is because of her faith and the price that she pays every day. Wow. Even to this day, she's still not allowed to go to church. Wow. And her and your dad are still married? Still married, still together, still in Houston, Texas. Wow. Yes. So you grew, okay, okay. Tell us about more about growing, like mm-hmm. keep going with the story because that is great. We could sit here for a long time. I have so many questions. Yes. But keep going because at this point, 2010, your mom, you're raised here, but you're not, a, are you a believer in 2010? No, I'm not. Okay. I was kind of in this, uh, I was a senior in high school uh, in 2010. I was very strong in my atheism. I had some atheist friends, but I had a Christian background. I had compassion and love towards my mom because she was a nicer one of the parents. But, you know, I did grow up with, in a kind of contentious, it was a multi-faith Indian American home. I was confused. I think I was going through depression at the time for reasons. But I remember my mom, she'd have those hidden Bibles in the closet. When my dad would go to work, um, she would, you know, make us pray. Or when he's in the shower, she'd have us pray. And I think it was just a very um, interesting upbringing because I never knew anyone that had a similar story at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was very isolating. And, you know, and I wanted to learn about Christianity. We couldn't go to a church service and understand and get taught about it. We had to just go off the old Bibles that we had that were in my mom's language that I couldn't really understand. I remember booting up Microsoft and Carta in the middle of the night and searching Paul the Apostle and trying to get like a little bit of understanding of, of what the Christian faith was about. But it was a pretty sheltered upbringing with little discipleship and little access to resources because of all the situations. My dad would even track my mom's car where she went and um, see if she was praying in the home. And so it was just like, we had to keep it completely secret. Um, My dad was pretty against having Christianity in our family. Was there ever a moment in those times where there was like a slip up or there was someone accidentally said something or your dad thought suspicion that y'all might have been reading the Bible? Did that ever happen in your home? I think my dad was inherently suspicious because my mom didn't like going to the temple and he knew that she was raised Christian. So he had some suspicion, but I do remember a couple incidents and one particular comes to mind and it was uh, my dad had, you know, he, he works in downtown Houston about an hour away from, you know, where we uh, lived. And so he was on his way to work and he doesn't usually, you know, come back. It's a long commute. And my mom went to go take a shower and he had just left the house early in the morning and she had put on some Christian tracks, some um, music in, in our TV. And um, she, I, w- I remember being downstairs and my mom just running out out of the shower in her towel and just telling me, turn the music off. The Holy Spirit just said, turn the music off. And as soon as I turned it off, my dad had pulled back into the driveway. Oh my gosh. And he had just walked in the door. And there were a lot of near misses like that. And I think it taught me that God had intentionally blinded my dad's eyes because it wasn't the right timing for him to know. Mm. Um, but it also, you know, looking back, and I don't, I don't, see, I didn't see this then, but looking back, like, there were too many coincidences for it to not to be God. 
Wow. So I, I felt like he, looking back, he was watching over us the entire time and, 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 you know, raising us in that way for a reason. Wow. Gosh, 18 is such a hard time in your life anyways. You're trying to figure out who you are. You're, you're you yeah. know, you're going off to college potentially and all of these decisions and kind of inward conflict that you have as an 18 year old. And then compounded on top of that is your conflict of faith within your home. You're claiming to be atheist. Your mom is this underground Christian. Your dad is Hindu. I cannot even imagine what that felt like, James. Yes. Uh, I don't know either. I, I, I think it was just happening. You know, it wasn't, you didn't have like time or things to process through. Um, and that's something that I guess in an in Indian American kind of perspective, um, we don't process. Uh, we don't think about things. We just kind of do it and we're expected to do things and to perform. Um, so we don't really take a pause and think about, hey, like, why am I going through this? Um, so there was a lot of isolation and depression coming out of that kind of culture that I had growing up mm. um, because I felt like I couldn't talk to my father about a lot of things. I conflicted with my mom on religion, so I, I didn't feel that close to her during high school. And, it, and then I just couldn't connect with a lot of my friends in school. Um, I had like superficial friends and, and some, you know, good friends, but it wasn't, it really was isolating. That's what led to my depression. And there was series of events that happened and like in 2011 about two weeks before going to ut um in austin i was found myself in a jail cell mm. and that's where i felt total isolation where i could not help myself and um, my atheism did not help me there and that's when i you know i prayed out to god and he he came before me and he asked me why i don't believe in him yet and that's when i gave my life to christ on my knees in a, a jail cell and became my savior and, and two weeks later i started at ut austin so it was just um an intense upbringing okay that is all intense and a lot of intense things just then about to start college end up in a jail cell um at the end of your rope you know it's interesting i i you know i've been met with a lot of skepticism from people of when people get um find religion or find jesus or become christians in jail people will also will often say well of course you are you know you, you what else can you do but i have met plenty of people like you and other people that I know that literally God takes you to the end of your rope. It's the end. There's nothing else you can do. And it's in yeah. those moments mm -hmm. that you say, okay, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to trust. And that's what happened to you. So you become a Christian yes. right before you go off to the University of Texas. Do you call your mom or what's yes. going on here? Well, yeah. So I had talked to my mom and um, I think she and I just had a good experience and she, you know, um, got me baptized in secret. I remember sticking out during high school. We had like a quote unquote doctor appointment. And she took me to her church um, where I was baptized. Um, I think that was a big moment for me. And, and you know, I was going to walk this Christian life, but I didn't really know how in our context. I, knew, I didn't know what discipleship was. I didn't know what church was. I, I didn't even know what a Sunday service was. I didn't know who Chris Tomlin was. Mm -hmm. We listened to 89.3 sometimes if we could um, in Houston. And then when I moved to Austin, I tried to live my freshman year. Um, kind of, I wanted to, you know, be of God. So I knew there was like worship and reading Bible. But I also had my whole party lifestyle. And so I did that for the first year. I think I visited the Stone once or twice. I remember, you know, being out late on weekends. And then like at three or four in the morning, I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to pray. And so I'd be praying after yeah. a night of partying or something. It was just really confusing for me. I didn't know. Um, and I I'd heard that there were Christian fellowships on campus and I didn't really know what they were. Um, this one girl that I grew up with um, in Houston, she also went to UT Austin. I remember sending a Facebook message to some people that I knew were Christian, including her. And I was like, dude, I, I remember sending this Facebook message out um, and it literally said something like, do Christian people meet together to talk about God? Is that a thing? Mm. Um, and you know, I was brought into a Campus Crusade for Christ, um, to Epic, which is the Asian American branch of Campus yeah. Crusade. Um, and I met a bunch of other Christians there, and it was just the beginning of a wonderful journey of being discipled. And 
getting taught um, Jesus' purposes for us and for the earth. Mm-hmm. And I took a course called Perspectives, which teaches us God's heart for the nations. Um, and that was like my heart was sold in 2012. Um, and I remember, you know, in that jail cell, I uh, felt like Jesus was my savior, but now Jesus was becoming my Lord and, and guide. And mm-hmm. I was very attached to that task. I was pre med at the time, really academic focused, but. I started to really buy into, you know, what God's purpose was for me in my life. And I wanted to come away from being pre med So this is your sophomore year in college or your freshman year still? This is, this is about the end of my freshman year. And then okay. freshman year, end of, I, I started going to that fellowship at the end of my freshman year. And throughout my sophomore years when I was getting discipled and I was learning to live life as a Christian, I, I think I started leading my first small group. That's amazing. You know, I, I find it so interesting. You just said something that I think a lot of people who grew up in church can take for granted. You said that, you, you know, you sent your friend a Facebook message and said, hey, do Christians meet together to talk about God? And yeah. and I remember even as myself personally, I grew up in the church, but when I became a believer, it took me a while to like figure out like, what does it mean to live my life as a Christ follower? And so mm-hmm. it's, I love hearing you even say that because it's an encouragement to us, you, myself, anyone that's listening that's a Christian, that when People come to know the Lord, like there's so much grace for them figuring out, how do I follow him? How do I make my ways his ways and my desires his desires? And so I love hearing you speak on that as a part of your journey of trying to go, how do I do this? Like, how do I actually do this? Mm-hmm. There was one moment that I really felt that, um, you know, be grateful moment when I lived in this dorm at, at UT called San Jacinto, so San Jack. Uh, and I remember getting, there was like rides being organized to go to the stone and they'd pick us up in front. And the Bible that I had was this $1, like dollar store New Testament Bible. That's all I could, you know, and growing up, like we had that one and I could hide it in my back pocket or put it in the bags. It wasn't like this big Bible and journal mm-hmm. that we could carry around because uh, that was risky for us. And I I remember walking through the halls of San Jack to the exit and holding that New Testament in my hand, like out in public. And I thought that was the strangest feeling I had. That was the first time I carried the word in public. Wow. Um, and I think that moment was like, you know, like we are grateful to be in this place and I can walk in freedom. I think that being at UT was that for me. It's like I could be a Christian here publicly um, because I was three hours away from Houston and my dad's eyes, you know. And so that really was like a grateful moment. I love that, which is so interesting because, you know, in, in America here, we would think of the, the scenario you just said as something that would happen on the other side of the world. And let you, you're living what a lot of Christians face around the world. And so you, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm imagining, I can see where your story might be heading, is that God has given you a heart for what it feels like to be a Christian, a persecuted Christian around the world. Yes. And I, I agree. And it really did. Um, you know, I saw, I, I didn't know the Christian lingo or the Christian culture. I wasn't in a Christian bubble um, in that. So I could kind of see that sometimes when um, when people would kind of talk about missions, like excitedly, I was like, why would you go on missions? That's, that, I just kind of had this kind of cognitive dissonance where um, it didn't make sense to go overseas when there's like people that are struggling here in the mm-hmm. U.S. Um, so I watched my friends go on mission trips and short-term trips and long-term trips and I could never go because of my dad. And that really did influence my faith. So kind of like, even if I could not go, I was going to do Mm -hmm. everything I can to be a Christian where I am because that's the only place I can be Mm -hmm. right now. Okay, so what I know next about your story is that your dad finds out you're a follower of Jesus. Tell us how that happened. Yes. 
Well, so I had gone on a mission trip to New York um, with my church. And it was like, it wasn't really a mission trip. It was kind of like a volunteer service thing. Mm -hmm. I told my dad it was a conference. I was staying with friends. I tried to keep it vague, but true without having to lie. Mm -hmm. But then I think one winter he asked too many questions about it. And he said, did you go as part of a church? Because he had the suspicions. And it kind of blew up. Um, It was the first time. And I remember, you know, sitting in that living room in our house in Houston. We were visiting home. My mom was there. And um, my, my dad didn't know for sure about my mom. He didn't know at all about my brother and my little sister. And I think that was just a big turning point because once he found out, it just caused a lot of personal problems in our family. It kind of exploded. Um, He was really upset and um, just a series of events happened and I was forced to drop out of UT. My dad wanted me to stay home in Houston. Um, He wanted me to enroll in in Hinduism heritage class and he would bring me papers literally and tell me to sign that I should throw Jesus in the trash. Um, Mm. And my mom told me not to ever sign anything like that because uh, Jesus said he would die me before man. I would not for a father. Um, So there there was that and I lost everything. I, I had really good friends, really good community at church. Um, I couldn't carry my Bible around. I didn't have a car. I felt like I lost my education. Um, and I really felt, I remember sitting in, on my back porch then, and I remember Jesus asking me, if this is to be my life, if I had nothing else that I wanted, if I couldn't live that openly Christian life, am I okay with that? Is, is Jesus himself enough? Did I need all the extra things? Um, and I just faced like, a lot of theologically hard questions there. And as a young Christian, it was just hard. Um, but then I feel like the only, I trusted Jesus to do, um, he had been kind to me and, and, and brought my mom up. And so I felt like I could trust him more than I could trust mm. my earthly father. Um, and that's when Jesus became my Lord. He was more than just a savior. And I said, yes, Jesus, you are enough. You're, you're more than all those other things. I don't need a car. I don't need and education. I can just sit here on this back porch and worship you. Mm. And that's all you need. Um, and I think that was, a, that was like a, the biggest turning point of, I think my life of when I wasn't just a saved or a believer, mm. I, I became a follower of Jesus and, and his teachings. At this point were your siblings also followers of Jesus? Yes. At this point, my brother and sister were also, but because of the precarious nature of our family, they could not, you know, vocally support me or, um, um, open up that they were Christian as well, because the way that my dad had treated us was whatever kind of fault that the kids would make, he would kind of take out on my mom. Mm. So she would suffer. Um, if So my brother and sister chose not to speak up, not because they were afraid, but because my mom would suffer the consequences. And when we were gone for college and she's home with my dad, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. So for safety reasons, we didn't. Um, we just kind of kept it to ourselves. There are many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative or perhaps a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl. Researching your history is a fun activity for the whole family, and the stories you learn about your shared past can bring you closer together. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from, but also can pinpoint the specific regions within them, providing insightful geographic detail about your history. Trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. My mom is tracing our ancestors right now, and it is such a great experience. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience as Ancestry. Start exploring your family story today. 
Head to Ancestry.com slash happy hour to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash happy hour. I believe in having clean options. I support companies who innovate products that break the norm and help clean up my daily routine. That's why I love Native for my deodorant needs. In fact, I love it so much, I just gifted my mom with the Native deodorant. Native is made with ingredients that you've actually heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. They never use things like aluminum, parabens, sulfates, or talc. It's also vegan and never tested on animals. Native just released plastic-free deodorant made from 100% paperboard and shipped in a plastic-free bag. Switching to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. Native comes in over 10 scents like coconut and vanilla and lavender and rose, plus rotating seasonals like the pumpkin spice latte collection. My favorite scent right now out of all of them is the coconut and vanilla. I have loved it this summer. I'm thinking about trying lavender and rose next. Maybe even a pumpkin spice latte deodorant. Native is risk-free to try with free shipping within the U.S. and free 30-day returns and exchanges. Guys, do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo, that's D-E-O, dot com slash Jamie Ivey. Or use the promo code Jamie Ivy, J-A-M-I-E-I-V-E-Y at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash Jamie Ivy. Or use my name as a promo code Jamie Ivy at checkout for 20% off your first order. Wow, a lot of cultural things that are just um, hard for me personally to understand because I haven't grown up in the culture that you have and mm-hmm. you were having to wrestle with all that at the same time as well. Yes. Um, I know you eventually got back to Austin. How did you get back to Austin? So um, my dad had, it was a miracle. I remember distinctly, my brother is also at UT Austin. He's a year older than I am. He came down to visit and he was going back to Austin. And my mom, you know, being a good Indian mom, she was cooking lots of food and wanting to send it back with him. But she was cooking a lot of food one day and I was just kind of at home in my pajamas and, um, I was like, mom, why are you cooking so much food? It's just one person. And she was like, I have faith that God's going to take you back too. And as my brother was in the car, um, loading the car to go back to Austin, um, and that weekend, uh, my dad just came out randomly and said, fine, go back to Austin, but you're independent from me. You have 10 days to find a job. If you can't support yourself, then you're you know, going to live with me in Houston. And that was the ultimatum mm. that he gave me. He says, you have 10 days to find a job. So I just jumped in the car. Uh, went back uh, to Austin and it, I didn't really know what to do. I, I wasn't a student. Um, I just went back to my old apartment where I couldn't even pay rent because I didn't have money and my friends had to cover my rent for a while. Um, but on day 10, I got a job at Chipotle on the drag mm. and on Guadalupe. Uh, as uh, I started out frying chips and it was the beginning of something, an entirely new season mm. for me. Um, so yeah, that was like the that was like the process of my dad finding out, and then me getting out of that um, and becoming an independent person. Wow! Uh, financially, and I guess for my family. Okay, guys, I know that you're loving James's story. It's crazy, isn't it? It's so unbelievably crazy how things have worked out. And just wait till you hear the rest. I want to stop real quick and give you two special little announcements. Number one. 
Do you have a recommendation for a guest that should be on your last decade? Do you know someone or maybe you who something profound has happened in the last 10 years? Or are you a completely different person than you were in 2010? If so, email us. We want to know. Podcast at jamieivy.com. Second thing I want to tell you, Happy Hour Live is in May, May 15th and 16th. And we would love to have you join us. This is a live event that we put on twice a year where I invite two ladies to join me on stage. We have a live interview. We have dinner. We have drinks. We have goodie bags. We have shopping downtown Austin, Texas. Friday night, my guests are Tasha Morrison and Shelly Giglio. Saturday night, my guests are Jennifer Allwood and Christy Wright. It literally is the most fun girls night you'll ever have. Come join us. Check it out at jamieivy.com slash events. Okay, here's the rest of my conversation with James. Wow. Did you feel relief that you were able to get out from your house and get back to Austin, even though it had, you know, some circumstances that weren't the best compared to where you, what you had been doing before? Yes. Yes, for sure. I was, I remember I was, I think that was like 2013 or 14. Um, and I was helping coordinate a perspectives class. And I remember it was a Sunday night that I went back and I had initially had to drop out of that perspectives class because I was stuck in Houston because of my situation. And it was just so amazing to just like drive back in Austin and then jump back into that perspectives lesson and feel like, hey, I belong here. This is where I can grow and be free. And, uh, you know, just being able to read the word out in public again was just so much freedom. And it was, you know, a breath of air. And it didn't matter what cost that came. If my, you know, if I didn't have an education or if I was working at Chipotle, it doesn't matter. I got to do that. And that to me was more important than being stuck at home. So it, no question, I was incredibly happy to be back in Austin. Uh, okay, so I know eventually you get back to school. You go back to University of Texas. How did yes. you make that happen without your dad? Well, it was hard. Um, tuition these days is not cheap. Right. Uh, but it was about a few weeks after I started at Chipotle. And this is, I really think this is the Lord. Um, but a few weeks after joining up at Chipotle, um, Chipotle announced this tuition reimbursement program. If you work there, for a year full time, and you continue working there, they'll reimburse um, a year's worth of tuition at a, any public university. And previously, um, it was only like Starbucks who did that, and it was like to a specific university online. But Chipotle said they'd do it to any public university. Um, so I, I, Chipotle, I mean, UT qualified, um, and so I just, you know, was working towards that. Um, I was going to save up money, but I got really discouraged along the way and. Um, about like going back to school and I thought about like, what's the point of that? I don't really need that. I really sold out for the gospel. I want to be a missionary. Um, I did um, that training program at Dawson Stone for a year, the phase one and phase two, and I was ready to go full-time on support. Um, and I was like, hey, like this is this is the next step for me. I'm independent. I can do this now because my dad has no control over my life. I'm over 21. Um, and, you know, I also had this like, passion that because I couldn't travel and because I couldn't go anywhere, um, I couldn't go on those mission trips like my friends. I volunteered with people that were in our neighborhood in Boston. I mean, in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, so I got ahead of myself. And I volunteered with some sex trafficking organizations in the city, worked with refugees, the Refugee Service of Texas. Um, and even through the Austin Stone, got to engage with some people. And I saw just how amazing these people were. And I wanted to figure out a way to help them. And um, worked with inner city kids. Um, oh, I also worked with Lindsay at a uh, mission possible mm -hmm. in East Austin. And, um, that was just like, you know, an incredible volunteer experience for me. And just, you know, being like, just being able to serve so many people in, in our back, in our, in our own backyard and for me to live out a Christian life and, and feel like I could do everything that Jesus asked me to do right here. Mm. Um, and so I got a heart for them and I had, um, I didn't really have a lot of ambition. I was like, okay, if I work hard enough in Chipotle, I can become a kitchen manager 
and make a little bit more money. And then I could, you know, transition out into support maybe and, uh, and, and do missions full time. And uh, one of my mentors then had asked me to help him lead a mission trip to Africa, which was huge. And I said, OK, because we we're training up people from churches, not as big as the Stone or other big churches. It was a kind of smaller Asian-American churches in the, in the city that needed help. They had a heart for missions, but they didn't have a sending capacity. So we're seeking help them out. And um, I went to Africa. Um, I told my dad it was just like a service trip, but I mean, I didn't go into too much detail. He didn't ask. I don't. I don't think at that point we didn't have that good communication. But I went, and it was uh, textbook discipleship for me. It was just you know what you read about in perspectives. To read about about nations, you know, in an unreached people group in a hut by the river, mm-hmm. um, sharing the gospel with someone who's never heard of Jesus before. Uh, working with persons of peace and through a translator. And it was just like surreal. I couldn't believe that I was actually doing this. I've been wanting to do this my entire mm. Christian life. And I was finally doing it. Um, and it felt like this is what I wanted to do. And then I kind of clearly heard the Lord speak over um, a Bible study that I was having in a hut. And he said, go home and go back to school. This is not what I have for wow. you. And that was really hard. So you're going back now, or you're going, you're going back, you're, fin- you're going to graduate from the University of Texas, and then what? You're going to go to grad school. Yes. Well, I w- the grad school wasn't in the plan. I had no idea what to do at school. So on the flight back from Africa, I just processed my mentor and decided to you know, put my money that I was saving up to go and support and cancel wow. support raising and just go back to school. To finish your undergrad. Yeah, to finish my undergrad. And it was hard because it was in yeah. in twenty fifteen. I watched all of my friends graduate. That was my class, and then I had to. I couldn't graduate until two years later in twenty seventeen. And I had to. And I re enrolled at UT. I had two years left to finish because I dropped out after sophomore year. But Chipotle only reimbursed one year, so I had to take twenty six hours of class a semester. Oh my gosh! To graduate, and it was just an intense, brutal. Because I was working full time at Chipotle too and taking class. Couldn't really go to church for almost a year. Had to hold Bible studies at Chipotle or my apartment um, to kind of keep the faith going. And um, that's kind of when um, I felt like God was kind of leading me towards the business sector. When I took a business foundations class at UT, and I really liked it. And my professor got me an internship there. And I didn't really want to go to med school. That wasn't my heart at that point. I really liked the tech industry. Um, that's something that I engaged a lot with in Austin, being in Austin. But I, you know, again, going back to those refugees and the traffic victims and stuff, I really wanted to connect those people with the business world and, and the technology world. And I, I, that's kind of where God was leading me. I didn't really know what I was doing. I thought I'd apply to grad school to go to business school because of those passions. And I found that it was kind of coming easily to me. Um, and I got rejected from UT, actually. for That was my first choice. I wanted to stay in Austin. Um, and I was um, later got an email saying that I could go to Harvard. And that was just surreal for me. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was the Lord. And I think that's looking back, it was just, um, God just taking me along this path that I had never known that I would go towards. I, you know, I thought I wanted to go on missions full time. Um, at, at that stage of my life, but God had something else in mind. So how is it when you have a conversation with your dad and you're telling him, I put myself through college, I've been working at Chipotle, now I'm going to grad school in Harvard. Mm-hmm. Like, is he proud of you? What's the relationship like with your father? It's it's a little strained because I think um, I had proven myself to some capacity where I could, you know, um, yeah. be independent financially and, and finish up school. Um, but I also, if I wanted to go to grad school, that's also taking on more loans. And he's like, how are you going to pay this off? And a lot of financial questions and a lot of, and there wasn't a lot of trust either 
uh, there because I, you know, I was like going mm-hmm. off on mission trips without him knowing. And I think I didn't have a good trust relationship with him. Um, and actually to put in my deposit uh, to go to Harvard, my mom was the one who put that deposit in first. And because wow. my dad didn't kind of believe in that. He said, I'm not touching this. Uh, you can go do whatever. So I, my brother was actually just moved to Boston. He was also in grad school in Boston that year. And so I moved the year after. I didn't know anyone else in Boston. I had joined the Antioch um, movement of churches before, and they had connected me to the local church in Boston. And um, I got in, kind of got plugged in there. But it was just a you know took two suitcases, moved to Cambridge um, near Boston, and I just started to go to grad school there. And I was like, hey, I'm determined to finish this um, without many loans. So I actually got a lot of scholarships um, and worked also full time while in grad school, just because I wanted to show my dad that, you know, I could do it and it didn't have to be mm-hmm. through loans. And, um, so I, I graduated just last year in May, two years later, um, and got to do amazing things. Got to start a startup, um, got to work, travel a lot. Um, got to see a lot. I saw, you know, people in the ICE detention facility. I saw racism and segregation in Boston, um, in my travels, I was made aware of my privilege and, um, I applied to this law school program at Oxford, um, hoping to, you know, get a, a better understanding. And that was really when my dad came around, um, when I, he flew up to Boston mm. for graduation. And, um, the first day he was, it's a little tense because I, we don't really know what our relationship is at that point. Um, but the second day he actually went to the Harvard co-op store and bought my degree, like framing, oh. um, and he actually, you know, he brought a video camera out and was videoing everything. And he just finally, you know, he satisfied an Indian parent. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I had needed uh, money to put down the deposit. Oxford was a, like a, they wanted all the money up front and it was expensive and the down payment was high. And, um, and so my dad actually at, at dinner that day uh, for graduation, he said he would put down the deposit money for Oxford. Wow. Um, and it was a huge moment because it's the first time since um, I had dropped out of UT that my dad had supported me financially. Thrive Market delivers organic and sustainable groceries right to your door. Just recently, I went to Thrive Markets. I got my account and I stocked up on snacks because my kids all day long, mom, we need more snacks. We need more snacks. And what I loved about it is I could go straight to Thrive Market. I could pick out that I wanted vegan or paleo or gluten-free, whatever might need our family's needs. And they are going to deliver it straight to my door. And I'm a happy mama. And those kids are happy kids. As a Thrive Market member, your paid membership provides a free one for someone in need, like a low-income family, teacher, veteran, or first responder. Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets and values, like paleo, keto, or plant-based, delivering the highest quality organic and sustainable essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood, clean wines, non-toxic cleaning, bath and body, and stuff for your pets, which I also got some great dog bones for my sweet little puppers. As a member, you're going to save 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices, and their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. In addition to membership matching, which is so phenomenal that they do that, Thrive Market has raised over $750,000 to date through their COVID-19 relief fund. If this sounds like something you are interested, go to thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. Join today and you're going to get a free gift of your choosing up to $22 in value. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash happy hour because you're listening on the happy hour. 
Go there today to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash happy hour. So where are you right now starting 2020 in January 2020? What's going on now? Yes. So now um, I had just, I finished Oxford. I took a a six month uh, job at the UN Um, to finish that last year. I came back to Boston um, and I started uh, a house church through Antioch. So I'm leading a church plant in Cambridge uh, for Antioch. Um, Right now I actually don't have a job because my UN job just expired. I'm hoping to start a new job the next couple of weeks. Um, I have, been trying to leverage my uh, privilege, my my um, my giftings, my talents to find justice through technology. Been working to the local church, really believe in that. Um, serving a lot in our church, trying to find solutions to racial reconciliation in our uh, through the local church, um, and work for justice. And I think the words that really guide me in um, in this journey today, and as I look for my next job and what's next for me, is um, Colossians one twenty eight and twenty nine says, "Him we preach." warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we present every man perfect in Jesus. To this end, I labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And I really hold to that because I know that that's my task. No matter what we have in this world, what we don't have. And, um, you know, we as Christians, we, we can wake up every day and because we have salvation, we have nothing to gain. Um, we've already been given everything. And for me, that gives me a lot of purpose that, you know, we labor so that others can know Jesus and have that freedom that we have. And I want that to show in my career and in my ministry. So that's kind of where I am in 2020, seeing where things are going. Wow. I'm, I'm telling you, I've talked to a handful of people about their last 10 years, and I might say that you have the most drastic 10 years of so far that I've talked to anyone about. Yeah. I mean, you told us, you know, 10 years ago, your mom is a Christian hiding Bibles. She can't tell your dad. Your dad's Hindu. You're atheists believing in nothing but wondering and looking around. And then yes. God is just taking you on such a journey, and your faith is so evident. Um, I'm so excited for what's in front of you. What do you wish for? What do you hope for in the next 10 years? Um, I, th- I think just continue going my faith. And I think Revelation 7, 9 is kind of like my lens that I'm looking through and seeing a great multitude which no one can number of all nations, shops, and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, um, just worshiping God. I, I want to see that happen. I want to see that eternity. Uh, I know it's going to happen and I want to be part of it. And so whatever it is, whatever career shows up for me, whatever ministry opportunities show up, I've learned that God is faithful to finish what he started. He has a plan for um, for us, and it's not only about us, it's about him and how we can um, co-labor with him to see his grand epic story play out and understanding my role in that. And I've you know been humbled to know that I shouldn't try and author my own path. It's God is going to reveal to me what he has for me, and I just keep taking one step at a time, one day at a time. And I, over the next 10 years, I hope to just be serving Jesus. Um, I hope to be expanding his kingdom um, in ministry and career. Um, I don't really know. I'd like to start uh, a VC or a venture capital firm long term and invest in um, Christian startups uh, to kind of, you know, I want to see reconciliation within the church. Boston's a really segregated city. It's hard to, you know, not deal with that issue here. Um, It's right in front of our eyes. And I want to see how the local church can be a solution to that. So that's kind of been what's on my mind lately. Um, So we'll see where that goes. We'll have to check in in 10 years. Unbelievable. I will check in in 10 years, but I have three more things to yes. tell you. Number one, I was just in Boston. Oh, man. Um, and well, I was there earlier in the year. My brother ran the Boston Marathon. Okay. And so that was fun. Exploring your city. Great city. Yeah. Um, second, I, I just flew I flew through Boston and had me some clam chowder in the mm, airport and loved it. Good. Uh, 
But my last, it's so good. My last two questions. Uh, number one, does your dad know your siblings are believers now? Um, yes. I think he, he knows that my brother is, he found my sister's journal one. So he found out that she was a believer. She's at Antioch in Waco. She's a student at Baylor. Um, and my brother is also here in Boston still. He just graduated grad school, but my brother's an engineer. It's just like my dad wanted him to be. And, um, I think at this point he can't really control any of us kids. Mm -hmm. What's hard now is, um, just how he treats my mom at home. Mm -hmm. We don't expressly make it public that we're Christians. Um, and we don't just rub it in his face because, you know, whatever he won't inflict it on us anymore because we're older. Um, but my mom's still at home and in, in our culture, my mom is, you know, subservient to my dad and, um, my dad kind of rules over her life and it's kind of hard to see that. Um, and so if, if we do something wrong, she's going to suffer mm. for it. So we don't push buttons. Yeah. Um, but we try and live this humble life and we're praying and my mom has a vision for his salvation. And, and I share that faith that, you know, even 30 years later that my dad will still come to Christ and he will become you know prominent in his kingdom. So that's what we're still praying for. My next question was how fervent do you and your siblings and your mom pray for your dad's salvation? Well, my mom is pretty intense. She's, she's the kind of person who wakes up at four in the morning before my dad is up and is on her knees every day. Um, mm. And she's texting us to pray on a daily basis. So she is an amazing woman. Again, like I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for the price that my mom has paid and still continues to pay. Uh, my brother and sister, I don't want to speak for them, uh, yeah. but you know, we're all figuring things out. Uh, my brother is a believer here. Um, he goes to a different church and my sister's, um, you know, she's battling her own things, but she's a, she's a strong believer too and trusting God. And we're all dealing with things. We've all had different relationships with our dad. And so um, I think one thing that I've learned is to have compassion for him. Um, and I, I think growing up, it's easy to be angry at a father that was so hurtful and abusive. Um, but I think from his perspective, you know, he thought he was going to get a Hindu family and to raise us mm-hmm. all together in, in one faith. And four of us kind of went the other direction. And yeah. I know that he must feel lonely and alone. Um, and so for me, it's like our priority as a mm-hmm. family is to be there for him no matter what. Um, and, and to pray for him, to love him, to show him kindness. And it can be hard sometimes. But again, it's not about us. And if we can be kind to him and represent Christ well, then um, there's solidarity. Wow. Well, your perspective and your gracefulness towards your father is evident. And, you know, God's word is clear about how we speak the truth and in graciousness and respect. And so I am prayerful with you that your dad will come to know the Lord. What an amazing story you have, James. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share uh, what God has done in your life in the past 10 years. It's basically unbelievable. I think you have the, uh, I think you have the start of a, a very amazing book right here in front of you because God has done so That's much in your world. Saying. Yes. So much in your world. And so thanks for sharing that with us. Yes, of course. It was great. Uh, it was great for me to just do this too. And I haven't had the chance to really dive into the last decade. So it has been a blessing for me to just look back and see how far God has come and knowing that you know, you. there's a lot more that he's going to do. Thank you so much for having me. You guys, you guys, you guys, I told you that James's last decade has been one of the most drastic transformation stories from atheist to serving God with his work and everything he's doing. I felt like I could have talked to James for about three more hours about his life because I feel like with every little moment that he told me something, there were like 17 layers underneath that. And can we just talk about the faith of his mom? Goodness gracious, the faith of his mom is such an encouragement and such an inspiration to all of us for what it looks like to truly walk by faith. 
Guys, thanks for listening to this special edition of The Happy Air called Your Last Decade. Our hope in all of these shows is that you too can reflect on your last decade. Whether you were 23 years old 10 years ago or 65 or 12, I encourage you to look back and see what God has done in your life and where he has brought you. How have you persevered? How have you screwed up? What would you do differently? And what are you so very proud of? Also, looking back always causes me to look forward. What do you hope to see in your next decade? Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper and organized by Lindsay Sweeney. The music is developed for the show by Matt Graham and the show notes are written by Aki Slockers. We'd love it if you enjoyed the show. If you'd share it with your friends, word of mouth is the number one way that people find out about our podcast. We thank you for doing that ahead of time. I'll see you next week on the happy hour for our regularly programmed show with my guest, Esther Fleece. And check back next week because we've got another Your Last Decade. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.